Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Thanks, music team. We have so many great teams here at, um, at our church, don't we? I actually just wanted to just acknowledge the, uh, the ushers. I think the ushers do such a wonderful job. This is a really tricky situation we're in with having to, you know, space everyone out and register and they just do it in such a way that makes you feel so welcomed and loved and one day this virus thing will be over and we can all cram in here like sardines again because uh, the principle of heaven is that God has a big house and a big table and there's never any uh, pulling out extra chairs there. There's a space for everyone. And uh, one day we'll get there again here and we'll probably need a bigger building then too and great problems to have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then uh, I'm going to um, share a message with you. God, thank you for this time here this morning. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak through me this morning and that whatever it is that you want each of us to hear and whatever it is at the same time you want us to hear collectively, that we would hear it and that we would act on it. We would respond to what it is you would want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the middle of a series um, now um, of Advent and our focus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Christmas is a very magical time of the year. Everyone often describes the magic of Christmas. We all get our candles out and sway along and everyone calls it magical and we all go for magical stories about Santa and his elves and the news tracks flying reindeer. There's lots of magic about Christmas. Everyone loves a bit of magic, none more so than this guy. This is David Copperfield. Uh, and you can tell from the black shirt, broody look and levitating iPad that he's a magician. Now, he has also grossed over $4 billion, more than any other solo entertainer in all of history, $4 billion. Now, that is a magic trick, over $4 billion for pretending to do things pretending to saw people in half and then put them back together, uh, pretending to fly, pretending to make the Statue of Liberty disappear, on and on it goes. Over $4 billion because people love magic. They love it. So what is it with us and magic? What is it with us hoping and reaching for things that are quite clearly illogical and beyond the bounds of the natural? What is it that makes a guy who wears black skivvies earn over $4 billion? Well, let me just look at the lay of the land a little bit more. Um, in America, 41% of the population think that telepathy is possible. 29% believe in astrology, that the stars can tell your future. 21% believe that the government is hiding aliens. One in five people. And that's okay, no judgment if you do believe that. We don't really know, but anyway, 21%. And 14% believe in the existence of Bigfoot. So a big mysterious gorilla that runs around America and no one's actually got any footage of yet. Now, I have a friend who is here in the earlier uh, celebration this morning who actually somehow got involved in a documentary in America trying to search for Bigfoot and trying to prove his existence. And he interviewed a whole bunch of interesting people and he said, he was most impressed by the amount of normal-seeming people who believed in Bigfoot. But he did tell me one story in the context of this about one person he interviewed 
who um, believed wholeheartedly that one afternoon he went into his yard and saw a whole bunch of, not just one Bigfoot, a whole bunch of them having like a, a tea party and doing a whole bunch of activities like three-legged races because that's, that's, that's where the Bigfoots have been. They've all been in this guy's yard having three-legged races and egg and spoon events. But this is legitimate, that, um, not that Bigfoots exist, but that people believe in these things, okay? And you might think, yes, but they're American stats, Asher. That's America. And while that might be the case, there are similarities in our culture and you just have to open up your regular um, tabloid magazine and you'll see pages and pages devoted to astrology and fortune-telling. We are a bit preoccupied with the magical, the supernatural. Now, even if you're not terribly into anything that I've just mentioned before, and like I said, no judgment if aliens and Bigfoots are a little secret thing of yours, or not so secret thing of yours, that's, that's fine. But there are lots of things in life that um, draw us towards the supernatural or ethereal. So one of the things that I love at the moment at this time of year are the storms that we have. I love watching a storm front come in in summer and just seeing these huge masses of cloud that fill the whole sky and then zap each other with bolts of electricity, the force of which and the size of which just blows my mind how it happens. We all have this pull towards the supernatural. So what is it about the magic and magical side and supernatural of things that we can't get enough of? Well, psychologists have had a crack at this, like uh, we do with most things, and uh, they've posited a few theories. So one is that despite our ability to think rationally and logically, we also love to reason intuitively. Now, that is what we like to uh, think using our gut or our feelings. And the supernatural involves a lot of intuitive reasoning as it often moves beyond the logical or what we can get our heads around. Now, another reason that psychologists have raised in terms of why we believe in the supernatural is that they say that this belief in the supernatural has actually given us an evolutionary advantage which has helped us to maintain the existence of our species. Now, these are interesting theories, but I'm not here to preach about these theories today. Uh, today I want to explore another reason, uh, another reason why we're drawn to the supernatural. We're in the middle of our Advent series, Emmanuel, or God with us, because Christmas is the story of God with us, God coming to earth in order to be with us both now and for all of eternity. But today we're going to explore how God is with us through his Holy Spirit, or more specifically, we're going to explore how God is within us through his Holy Spirit, within us. I believe that it is our desire for an intimate relationship with a supernatural God that explains our preoccupation as humans with the supernatural. We have this inbuilt desire in us. I believe that this is the reason why the human heart is so inclined towards the magical and the supernatural because we were always intended to be in perfect union with the supernatural. We were always intended for intimate relationship with a supernatural God. Every mystery, every wonder, every ethereal experience is just a picture of what every human heart desires, to be filled with the presence of a supernatural God. 
Now, I appreciate that teaching on the Holy Spirit can bring some strong reactions from people. We've all had different experiences when it comes to our theology or understanding of the Holy Spirit. Now, for one, this can be one reason why that might be is because this is an area of um, Christianity that sometimes we can feel draws the eccentrics towards it, right? Um, After all, this is the area of Christian life where um, blind people see and limbs grow and other things too like people fall over in prayer and gold dust settles and a whole bunch of things that are outside of our normal experience. But hang in there today. If you're somebody who when you think of the Holy Spirit gets a little bit, oh, we're getting into the wacky part of the church, um, you're already there because you're here. Um, and we're all a bit wacky. But uh, as, as, as much as that might seem to be the case, uh, he actually, the Holy Spirit belongs in your heart and he belongs within you and you were designed for that. So in the time that I have today, we're going to look a bit more closely at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to start with exploring who the Holy Spirit is because it's always helpful to understand what it is we're talking about before we focus on it. And then we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit changes who we are and how he also changes what we do. So firstly, who is the Holy Spirit? And that is the correct way to ask, who is the Holy Spirit? It's not a what, he's a he. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the personal presence of God. This isn't a modern church add-on to our understanding of God. The Holy Spirit has always been there in the Bible. And right at the very beginning of the Bible, right when history first encounters God, we read this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God. Now, the word used to describe the Spirit of God here is the Hebrew word ruach. I think there's meant to be more of a at the end of that, but you're all sitting in close proximity and social distancing. I'm just going to go with a Western version of ruach and, and roll with that for now. And ruach literally means wind or breath. It's like an invisible energy, the inner energy of a person. And in our first introduction to him, God's Ruach or Holy Spirit, um, it's clear that he's supernatural. In our first introduction, we see that all of life on earth comes from the movement of God's Ruach. And this is pretty wild. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God's Ruach breathes into us our own invisible inner person. Now, I'm going to take a moment here because for some of you, the idea of having an invisible inner person might seem a little bit strange or sound a bit novel or weird, but I want to just show you how it's not. It's something that you already know. It's just putting some language around it. So in my message today, I've got two Christmas movies I'm actually going to uh, to use to illustrate a point. And the first one is this one, and it's the Polar Express, which my kids watched the other weekend. And the Polar Express stars Tom Hanks. Now, everyone loves Tom Hanks, and that's why in a movie, if you want a character to be loved instantly, you cast Tom Hanks 
as that character. And so Tom Hanks here plays the conductor of this magical train that goes to the North Pole. Um, But in my opinion, there is something very wrong with this Tom Hanks. This particular Tom Hanks character creeps me out and I'll explain why. Now, we might have a difference of opinion here and that's okay, but I'm just trying to illustrate a point. And that is that this movie is animated with that horrible, hyper-realistic CGI animation. And this could just be me because my kids enjoyed this film, but for me it was like watching a horror movie, seeing these creatures. Now, um, the reason being is because it's so realistic but not quite yet. It's like watching a movie that is cast completely with possessed mannequins uh, wandering around acting out a story. Anyway, the reason being why I think it freaks me out, aside from the fact that, you know, we've all got our own wackiness, is that um, what you're looking at is not actually Tom Hanks. It's a simulation of him. Um, Simulations have no life. There is no inner person. There's no ruach. It's just a simulation. And every human life has an inner person or energy. And by nature, we recognize that intuitively in others. And this is the spirit. And this spirit does not just come from electrical signals firing off together. It is God breathed. His Holy Spirit breathed our spirits into being. And this is what we recognize in the life of another, their invisible person or their energy. So back to God's Spirit. In the Old Testament, God's Holy Spirit frequently inhabits the life of another person for a time. And when that happens, it causes that person to act in magical or supernatural ways. So as early as Genesis, the Holy Spirit comes on Joseph and he is able to interpret dreams and in doing so save a nation and most of the known world at that time. And then in Exodus 31, the Holy Spirit comes on another man called Bezalel and enables him to make beautiful artistic works for the tabernacle. And then in 1 Kings 18, the Holy Spirit comes into Elijah and strengthens him so that he can run faster than a chariot. All of these things are supernatural. They seem a little bit wild and magical. And all of these things are beyond the work of humans and point to the supernatural nature of God's own Ruach. Now, this all seems very exciting, but there are some limits around this in the Old Testament. These limits seem to be related to our sinful state in that the Holy Spirit only seems to fill people with his presence, with his person for short periods of time in the Old Testament. And he doesn't fill anyone, everyone. There are plenty of great people in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is not described as filling them or being on them. But this changes in the New Testament which is good news because that is the testament or covenant or relationship that we have with God now. See, when Jesus arrives, he came as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And in doing so, he makes us holy through his death and his resurrection and his righteousness. And now the Holy Spirit can fill each and every one of us. On his ascension into heaven, Jesus says and does something that's familiar with the very beginning of the Bible. In John 20 and in verse 21, we read this. Jesus said, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Look at what happens here. God is again breathing on his creation. And this time, his breath is not just to bring us life, but this time he is filling us with his very own invisible person, his Ruach. Because of his death and resurrection, God with us is becoming God within us. And we are now able to be filled with his Holy Spirit because Jesus has made us holy. What a miracle. God's transforming inner person promised to fill and guide us for the rest of our lives. What a promise. The breath that started creation breathed into us. The spirit that enabled Joseph to interpret dreams, that allowed Belzalel to make beautiful art, that made Elijah run faster than a chariot, that spirit now in us. Surely this satisfies our desire for the supernatural. God's Holy Spirit. This is the supernatural that every heart actually longs for, to be filled with the invisible presence of our supernatural God. So now that we've looked at who the Holy Spirit is and discovered that through Jesus, he's here to live inside of us, let's look at what it looks like to be filled with the invisible person of God. So in the time we have left, we're going to look at those two things. We're going to look at how when we are filled with the Spirit, He changes who we are. And we're also going to have a look at how when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, He changes what we do. And we're only going to scratch the surface on this because there's only so much of God you can cover in 20 minutes. He's, He's a big one. But that's what we're going to focus on the time we have left. So firstly, the Holy Spirit changes who you are. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means a change in your character. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means a change in your character. It's time for the second Christmas film now. So this one's from 1994. It goes a bit further back and it stars uh, Tim Allen in his debut feature film. This is The Santa Claus. Um, And a few of you might have seen The Santa Claus. Uh, Less of you would have seen The Santa Claus 2 and even less The Santa Claus 3. The premise of The Santa Claus is that it's about a single dad played by Tim Allen who accidentally kills the actual Santa on Christmas Eve. This is the magic of Christmas. Anyway, in order to save Christmas, he has to put on Santa's suit uh, and complete Santa's Christmas run. And in doing so, he actually activates the Santa Claus, which is that if you put on Santa's cloak, you agree to become Santa forever. So over the next 11 months, uh, when Tim Allen gets back to his normal life, he notices a whole bunch of changes. So his hair goes white. His beard grows super fast. He puts on lots of weight. Uh, He's kind and jolly. Children want to come and tell him about presents that they want for Christmas all the time. And even his heartbeat matches the tune of Jingle Bells. In other words, Tim Allen has this transformation from the inside out where he becomes this new person, Santa. Yes, it is amazing that I found a Santa analogy that fits into my message today, but There we are. We've done it. But you see, this is what happens to us when we take on the righteousness of Christ. 
we begin to be transformed in the depths of who we are. And this is where the Christian faith differs from other faiths and other big world ideas on the area of righteousness. We do not have to become or act like God in order to obtain his favor. With God, it is the other way around. We obtain his favor completely undeservedly. And then, because of that, he fills us so that we can become like him. This is incredible. In Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, Paul describes what the character of the Holy Spirit is like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The Holy Spirit is not an inanimate force. He is the invisible person of God. And so he has the, the, the personal characteristics of God. And when he fills you, you become like him. Now, surely this is the most supernatural aspect of the Holy Spirit. It's this. He makes us like him. That is supernatural. There is nothing more supernatural in my mind than a selfish, broken human being showing the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. There is nothing more supernatural than a stressed out, mortgaged, ordinary parent laying down their life for their child. There is nothing more supernatural than an elderly person crippled by a terminal disease being filled with joy. There is nothing more supernatural than a grieving child who is filled with peace. There is nothing more supernatural than a dissatisfied employee filled with patience. There is nothing more supernatural than a grubby-faced little child filled with kindness. There is nothing more supernatural than a brilliant artist filled with goodness. There is nothing more supernatural than a bad-tempered man filled with gentleness. There is nothing more supernatural than a sexually promiscuous person committing to faithfulness. There is nothing more supernatural than an impulsive teenager exercising self-control because when the character of God overcomes our own human brokenness, that is the greatest act of the supernatural that we can ever experience. The change of who we are is the greatest change that the Holy Spirit brings. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means a change in your character to become more like God. And what an amazingly good thing that is. Secondly, and lastly today, being filled with the Holy Spirit changes what you do. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that you have to be prepared for wild supernatural things to happen through you. For some of you right now, for all of us in some area, that brings a mild sense of panic because maybe you've seen some of the things that happen in church and you think, oh, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I hope when I go out for prayer, I don't fall over. I hope when I pray for someone that God doesn't expect me to say something to them. I hope that when I'm joining in the worship this morning that one of my feelings doesn't become made of gold. 
whatever it is, there's things in the Christian experience that we can think, oh, goodness, oh, that would just, I don't know if I could handle that. Well, let me encourage you. God does move in mysterious and amazing ways. God's supernatural work, though, is always consistent with his supernatural character. I'll say that again. God's supernatural work is always consistent with his supernatural character. What he does is consistent with his character. What we just read from Galatians, that's his character. He will always act consistently with that. About 10 years ago, I went to Blues Fest in Byron Bay. Like all music festivals in Byron Bay, it rained a lot. I remember on the last night when we had to leave, our car, which we'd parked in the front paddock, had to get towed by a tractor to get out. Anyway, the final night when we were leaving, the headliner was playing and because it was the last night of Blues Fest, he was just letting rip with a slide guitar solo and it went for like 15 minutes. It felt a little long. But everyone was enjoying it. Most people were enjoying it. There was a group of people in front of us who were particularly enjoying it and they were just rolling around on the ground making mud angels or something and they were just completely enraptured by the music and by the moment. And I remember watching them for a while and thinking that while that might be an almost spiritual moment for them right now, it won't be in the morning because at the end of this euphoric experiential moment, they're going to be covered in mud and they're going to be sore and they're going to be embarrassed and it's probably going to be on social media, a whole bunch of people they don't know who filmed them. Now, the Holy Spirit is not like this, okay? He does do wild supernatural things that blow our mind. All the things I've spoken about, he does do, right? But the work of the Holy Spirit always does two related things. The works of the Holy Spirit always achieve his purpose of giving glory to God. And they are always consistent with his character. These things are related. He calls us into supernatural activities in order to bring glory to himself. And his movements are always consistent with his character. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul uh, writes to the church in Corinth. And the context here is that they had become a little bit disordered and chaotic with how they did worship when they met. And it was a reflection of the culture that they were in and that they were chasing the experience of the Holy Spirit rather than the person of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a spiritual experience for us just to run after. He is the person of God for us to give our lives over to. And there is a difference. So from verse 4, we read this. This is Paul writing to this church in Corinth. There are different kinds of gifts, but they are all given to believers by the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but they all come from the same Lord. There are different ways the Spirit works, but the same God is working in all these ways and in all people. The Holy Spirit is given to teach each of us in a special way, and that is for the good of all. To some people, the Spirit gives a message of wisdom. To others, the same Spirit gives a message of knowledge. To others, the same Spirit gives faith. To others, that one Spirit gives gifts of healing. To others, he gives the power to do miracles. To others, he gives the ability to prophesy. To others, he gives the ability to tell the spirits apart. To others, he gives the ability to speak in different kinds of languages they had not known before. And to still others, he gives the ability to explain what was said in those languages. 
All the gifts are produced by one and the same Spirit. He gives gifts to each person just as he decides. The Holy Spirit does the work of and brings glory to God. A good, loving, kind, righteous God. I want to look specifically at each of those gifts that Paul describes here in Corinthians just to see how each of them brings glory to God. So from the top, God's Holy Spirit gives messages of wisdom in order to show his all-surpassing and infinite wisdom. God's Holy Spirit gives messages of specific knowledge in order to point to how intimately God knows and cares for his children. God's Holy Spirit gives faith in order to show how completely trustworthy he is. God's Holy Spirit gives the gift of miracles in order to highlight his immense kindness and power. God's Holy Spirit gives the ability of prophecy to show that he has a divine plan for all of history. God's Holy Spirit gives the ability to tell different spirits apart in order to show his ultimate victory over darkness. God's Holy Spirit gives the gift of different unknown languages and translations of these to show his desire to connect with all of his people. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just there for show. They are there to reflect and glorify our amazing supernatural God. The Holy Spirit always acts consistently with his character. Joseph's interpretation of dreams happened because the Spirit of God is wise. Belzalel's artwork was beautiful because the Spirit of God is creative and beautiful himself. Elijah ran faster than a chariot because the Spirit of God is strong. God's supernatural works are always consistent with his character. You need not be afraid of him moving through you in the power of his spirit. You can trust him. He is full of love. He is full of joy. He is full of peace. He is full of self-control. He is patient. He is kind. He is faithful. He is gentle. He is good. I don't know about you and where you're at this morning, but I could do with a bit more of my supernatural God in my life. I could do with being a bit more like him in my character. I could do with seeing the actions of my life be a bit more supernatural. You know, life is short, and I think I would rather tap into the bigger story of what God's up to than just forge out my own little one. To go beyond the laws of human nature and physics by being in intimate relationship with my supernatural God sounds like a good way to spend my life. And I honestly believe that in doing so, we satisfy our desire for the supernatural. It's perfectly fulfilled by God's Holy Spirit, God within us. What I'd like to do to close is I'm going to pray. Now, we have this time where we're sitting around tables and after I finish praying, the worship team's going to provide some music while everyone else can chat and pray around our tables. And I want us to pray around this particular area of the Holy Spirit and being filled with God's inner person. And there's two areas I think that we could look at praying in. One is if you have never, never invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, 
and in doing so, invited his Holy Spirit to fill you, now'd be a great time to start. And if you are someone who has given your life to the Lordship, the Kingship of Jesus, being filled with his Holy Spirit is an ongoing thing. Every day I'm identifying, or more correctly, my wife and children and close friends are identifying areas of my life that require more filling of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel I've, no, I'm there, I've, you know, I've, Jesus is Lord of my life, I know the Holy Spirit is within me, it's an ongoing thing to be filled with him. We're not there yet. One day we will be, but that'll be post-death when we're completely restored and redeemed. And in the meantime, it's an upward trajectory, continually being filled with his Spirit. And so I want to invite you to pray into those two areas. And if beyond that you would like more specific prayer, there's going to be um, some uh, members of the team who will be willing to pray for you just over there, just beyond the Christmas trees. Um, they'll, be, they'll be gathered if you want to, go more specific, longer prayer. Do that. Do that. So I'm going to pray, and then that's what we're going to do. That all sound good and clear? Good. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that, God, you, you just weren't satisfied just to have a creation that you weren't intimately involved with, Lord. And I thank you that you made us with this desire to be filled with your supernatural presence, your supernatural person. And right now, as we approach Christmas, God, I thank you that by the work of Jesus and his death and resurrection, your Holy Spirit is now able to be within us. So, Lord, I ask now for these conversations and prayers that happen around our tables right now, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way. For those of us who are yet to surrender our lives to the Lordship, the Kingship of Jesus, may that happen right now at these tables. May the prayer and conversation that's about to happen at these tables be the start of a new life where we are filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to pray a blessing too over these tables that for those of us who already declare you as our Lord and King, that as we share and pray together, that your Holy Spirit would fill us even more. Fill the parts of us that we haven't let you into yet or that we've been a bit crusty and dry in, Lord, but your Holy Spirit fill up those areas of our lives, Lord. And God, I ask too for supernatural things to happen, starting with these prayers at these tables, supernatural changes in our character, supernatural healing, supernatural words of encouragement and knowledge, supernatural visions of what you're doing. Holy Spirit, come and do what you desire to do. We trust you. You are a good God. Your character is good. You are true and faithful and you love us to bits, God. We can trust you. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name.